Bless you, buddy. Bless you, man. Good morning. Good to see you here. God bless you for coming today. Thank you, praise team. It's good to have Miss Gail back on the stage. Give her a big hand. Appreciate her and all that she does for the Lord. Glad that you're with us today. It's good to have uh, the Evans family back with us today. Dave and Christy and Anakin, welcome them to the service today. They were here at the early service just like old times. Dave and Christy and Anakin are our missionaries to Aid, Oklahoma. And they're doing a great job. Anakin, man, I'm so proud of you. You've grown up. I can remember the day uh, back when Anakin was, was uh, just a kid. He, he would tell all the girls, sorry, I only date supermodels. So, uh, but uh, hope you find you a supermodel there in Aid, Oklahoma. Glad that you're here. Give the Lord a big hand because he is so deserving of every praise that we give him. I'm preaching a series of sermons out of the Gospel of John entitled, I Need a miracle. It's actually uh, taken from a song Third Day sings that literally says, I, I need a miracle. And maybe you're here today and you need God to do something in your life. My word to you is God is more than able, He's quite adequate to meet any need that you have. And we're going to see that in our Bible story today. So open your Bibles to John chapter 9. The Gospel of John records seven miracles of Jesus that are called miraculous signs. They are called that because they point to who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. The miracle that we're going to read about today takes up the entire chapter of John chapter 9. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter. In fact, I'm really just going to focus in on verses 1 through 12. And rather than me reading it to you, I would like for you to visually see this passage of scripture fleshed out and it just happens to be a movie the gospel of John so join me as we watch this clip of John chapter 9 verses 1 through 12 
And you know what, I know what some of you jokers are thinking. You're thinking, Brother Will, just let the movie go ahead and finish and you not preach. Well, I, I'm going to stop it right there because what I want us to do is, is just walk our way back through what we visually just saw with our own eyes from John chapter 9. So go back with me to verse 1. It says, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Just, just a couple of things about that verse. Here is a man begging on the street. He was born blind. Apparently his parents could no longer take care of him and he couldn't support himself. So he was living a life of a beggar, begging for money so that he could buy food. And what's interesting to me is that everywhere Jesus went, he encountered people like this man. Not only did Jesus encounter them, Jesus also engaged them. Why? Because Jesus cares about people. Jesus loves people. And the coolest thing about verse 1 is the fact that it says Jesus saw him. And he didn't just see him. He saw him and he stopped. Something about this man attracted Jesus. Jesus saw his need and Jesus went to meet this man's need. The cool thing about that is this, Jesus sees you. And Jesus sees the need that you have in your life. And Jesus is stopping today as he looks at you. Now, before I get to my main point, let me jump ahead just a little bit in this passage and talk about the unusual way Jesus went about healing this man of his blindness. Uh, we read about that in verses 6 and 7. When Jesus had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. Now, if you're like me, maybe you're just wondering, why did Jesus choose to heal this man's blindness in this particular way? Spitting on the ground, making mud with his saliva, putting the mud on this guy's eye, and then telling him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Of course, we know because we've read the other miracles that John records in his gospel of Jesus, Jesus could have healed this man any way he wanted to. Okay? He could have just spoken a word and the guy would have been healed. He could have just touched the guy's eyes and he would have been healed. We know that Jesus didn't even have to do anything. He could have just thought the thought <laughs> and the guy could have been healed. So why does Jesus do it this particular way? Well, biblical scholars have all sorts of speculations as to why Jesus made the mud and put it on the guy's eye. But I think the answer that makes the most sense to me in light of this story is this answer. At this point in Jesus' three-year ministry, he is in constant conflict with the religious leaders of his day. They hated Jesus because Jesus challenged their very traditions. 
We learn down in verse 14 that the day all of this happened, the day of the miracle, was actually the Sabbath day. And this act of stirring up mud in his hand and smearing the mud on the guy's eye and then telling the blind man to go wash in the pool of Siloam all resembled acts which the Jewish leaders thought were a violation of the Holy Sabbath day. You see, they had devised this very strict code for what people could do and could not do on the Sabbath day. They had a book that was even thicker than the Bible <laughs> of all the rules and regulations of the Sabbath day. So when the Jewish leaders learned what Jesus did on the Sabbath day, they accused him of two things. Number one, they said, he's a sinner because he's breaking the law. And number two, he is a Sabbath breaker himself. Well, church, let me tell you the real deal. Sometimes in the gospel, Jesus deliberately created a controversy with these religious leaders who were so high and mighty in their own traditions that they couldn't see the new thing that God was doing in Jesus Christ. And Jesus would sometimes do things like heal a person on the Sabbath day just to expose their unbelief. And when we see this happening in the gospel, we need to be warned about our own legalism. You're saying, oh, preacher, we're, we're not, we're not legal. Are you sure about that? Huh? Are you sure you're not? Sometimes we act legalistic when things don't go the way in church we think they ought to go. Or when people don't live up to the traditions that we have set them to live up to. Or if God chooses to do something like we've never seen before and we're uncomfortable with it, we can become hard-hearted. Just like these legalistic Jews that hinder the true work of God. And later in the story, when the Jewish leaders really pressed this man who was formerly blind, they were asking him all kinds of questions about Jesus whether or not he was a Sabbath breaker, whether or not he was a sinner. Here's what the man said in verse 25, which is my favorite verse of the whole chapter. The guy said, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I do not know. But there's one thing I can tell you. I was blind, and now I can see. Woo, man. And I don't know if he said it just like that, but I tell you, I would. Because you know what? Their focus was diverted. This guy's saying, listen, people, this is a miracle. Jesus just did something that nobody else could do. I have been blind from my birth. They didn't believe him, so they called in his parents. And they testified to the fact, you know what? He was born blind. They said, well, how did he get healed? Here's what his parents said. They, I guess they were trying to be politically correct. They said... Ask him. He's an adult. <laughs> he can tell you how he was. But the guy's saying, it's a miracle. Jesus performed a miracle in my life. Yet they were blind because they couldn't see the miracle. Well, let me come back to another very unusual part of this story that occurs at the very beginning of the incident when Jesus encountered the blind man. And it, it's seen in verse 2. His disciples who stopped with Jesus looked at the man and so they asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned here, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Now, really, that is a very big question. One that we find ourselves still asking even today when we see people suffer. Why is that person suffering? Why, why are they getting that done? To, they don't deserve that. Why are they suffering? Why do I suffer? Well, the Bible doesn't shield us from the reality of suffering, just like this man's blindness. But why him? Why him? Why blindness? Why, why you? I mean, the bigger question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, they do, don't they? I mean, if you've ever had something bad happen to you, raise your hand. Let me just know that you're alive out there. Every hand should be raised right now. Yeah. We all have suffering in our life. We've all suffered at some point to some level of intensity. And you know what? With that suffering, we've got a story. And with our story of suffering, we also have a scar. Because suffering leaves scars. Okay? For this man, it was his blindness and all that he went through. Now, I can't relate to this guy because I'm not blind. haven't been blind since I was born. But, but I can relate on the, on the vision thing. Uh, whenever I go to my... Uh, eye doctor once a year to have my eyes checked out the, the doctor takes a double look on on my left eye they take pictures of your eye now and you know it's pretty cool to be able to see inside your eye but he always examines my left eye and spends a little more time with my left eye because several years ago I woke up one morning and, and it was blurry in my left eye I couldn't see clearly out of my left eye and I, I couldn't figure out what was going on literally I thought there was a piece of fuzz you know Something in my left eye, and so I washed it out with water. It didn't go away. I went to the store, bought some Visine, and just squirted the whole bottle in there, man. I was trying to wash it out, but it wouldn't go away. In fact, through the day, it kind of got a little worse, and I became somewhat alarmed. I called the eye doctor, and he got me in, took, took a look at me, and after a long examination, he came back into the room, and he said, Will, I hate to tell you this, but uh, you have macular retinal occlusion. You've lost part of the vision in your left eye literally part of that eye has died there's a part of your left eye that's died you've lost the vision and you're never going to be able to see clearly out of that eye again I mean, it scared me to death i said well is it going to get worse he said it might i'm thinking man i'm too young to lose vision out of my left eye and i started freaking out and then when he left the room, I, you know, I just had to pray and say, Lord, I can't do anything about this. I'm just going to give it to you. Now the only time I remember and realize that I've lost partial vision out of my left eye is when I go to the eye doctor. <laughs> Can I tell you something? It is amazing how our body just kind of takes over and, and helps out. I guess my right eye works over time, but the only time I, I remember that this is a problem in the left eye is when I go to the eye doctor and he gives me that big spoon that I put over my right eye and I have to read the letters on the back wall and there's that dead spot and, and I see it and I remember it and I know that that is my story and that is my scar. Behind every scar that you have in your life is a story. So what's the story behind the scar of this man's blindness? The disciples, like most Jews, really had only one possible explanation for this man's blindness. And we read about it in verse 2 when they asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
You see, the only possible explanation, at least in the minds of the disciples, was that it was somebody's fault. Somebody had sinned. So, was it the man or was it his parents? And really, this was the typical Jewish explanation for all suffering. Somebody messed up. Somebody sinned. Just go back and read the book of Job. And you'll hear Job's friends trying to get Job to believe that all of the suffering that he had gone through was due to his own sin. But Job testified, and the Bible reaffirms that that wasn't the case at all because Job was a righteous man. Now, I can do a quick time out and tell you, generally speaking, all suffering that we have on earth is because of sin. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that all creation was cursed with suffering and death. So I'm here to testify to you that we live in a fallen world. This is a sinful world. So, again, another quick time out. Why are we so amazed that our world is in the shape that it's in? I mean, it's fallen. Yeah. Why do we get amazed when people do dumb, stupid, crazy, sinful things? Well, it's just the way mankind is. Why do we get amazed when people don't believe in Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us people aren't going to believe in Jesus Christ. This is a fallen world that we live in. And bad things are going to happen. And we are a part of that fallen world. So guess what? Bad things are going to happen to us. But it is a mistake to think that when you suffered and when you're suffering, it is because you sinned. Yes, I will admit, if you drink and drive and kill somebody in a car accident, that is a direct result of your own sin. But what about when you just get sick? Or what about when your child gets sick or an accident occurs? It's not necessarily because you've sinned or they've sinned. It's just stuff that happens. In fact, specific sins in the past do not always result in specific suffering in the present. So when the disciples asked the question, I think it's worth taking a note as to how Jesus answered that question. He said in verse 3, this happened, this happened, neither his parents sinned nor this man sinned. This happened, Jesus said, so that the work of God might be displayed in this man's life. All of this happened so that today you could see and that we could write it for generations to come to see that the power of God is about to be unleashed in this man's life. That's why he was born blind. So, underscore this, the man's blindness cannot be traced to his own sin. It was impossible because he was born blind. Nor to his parents' sin. The explanation, therefore, is not found in something that someone did in the past. The explanation to his suffering is in something that God is planning to do in the future. And that's what Jesus means when he says, This happened to this man so that the work of God could be displayed in his life. You see, when it comes to our suffering, your suffering, it is useless and is very unproductive for you to spend all of your time asking the why question. Why did this happen? Why am I going through this? In the past tense, 
whose fault is this? Instead, we need to be asking the why question in the future tense. We need to be asking questions like this, okay? Yes, I'm going through suffering. So how is it that God is going to use this suffering in my life for His good, acceptable, and perfect will to be manifested in my life? How's that going to happen, all right? How is God going to turn something bad that's happening to me into something good that He can be glorified through? You see, we have a God who can do that. Woo! Come on, wake up. We've got a God who is powerful enough to do that, who can take the very worst that life throws at us and shape it into something that perfectly fits for His goodness and His greatness in our life to be manifest to give Him glory and praise. It's amazing. So the purpose of this man's blindness and of your illness and of your job loss and of you losing your mate is so that the work of God might be displayed in your life through the grace of God. That's where the meaning is. And God's work is going to be put on display as Jesus miraculously heals this blind man. Jesus goes on to explain more of what this work is in verses 4 and 5. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day. The night is coming when no one can work. Then he said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So this work of God that will be displayed through this man's blindness is that he will be healed through the power of Jesus Christ. But, but there's a sense of urgency because Jesus said night is coming. There is a darkness that is coming. But what is Jesus saying in that? Well, I think he's talking about the darkness that is about to come through his own suffering, through his own death, through the cross of his own crucifixion. Jesus is about to endure a darkness that is far worse than the darkness that this man has had to live through. In his death, Jesus would be plunged into the black cave of God's judgment against our sin. Jesus would endure the darkness of hell for us so that when we put our trust in him, we can be saved from our sins. And really, when you step back and look at this whole story of darkness and suffering, it's cool to understand that God is working through Jesus' suffering just like God works through our suffering. God worked through the suffering of Jesus Christ to bring glory and praise and honor to himself, but also to save millions and millions of people who would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And really, church, that's one of the reasons this story is in our Bible. It is here to show us that glorious truth about our salvation. Now, the cool miracle that, that we get stuck on and that we read about and that we stand in awe of is the fact that Jesus healed this man of his physical blindness. And that indeed is a miracle. Nobody else can do that. Okay. Can I tell you, nobody else can heal a blind man from their blindness. 
This guy, had, he had never seen anything in his life. He, he had never seen a, a sunrise. He, he had never seen the moon. He had never seen trees or birds or men. He hadn't seen anything. He had been in total darkness and blackness his entire life. And all of a sudden, Jesus healed him. That is a miracle. And that's something to get excited about. But you know, that's not the greatest miracle in this story. You say, well, preacher, what could be greater than physical blindness being healed from that? Well, the greatest miracle came at the end of the story. This man was healed of his spiritual blindness. Jesus told the man that he was the Savior of the world, and if he only believed in him, he could have the light of eternal life. And here's what the man said, Lord, I believe. That's a great statement. Lord, I believe. And if you are lost in the darkness of your own sin, that's the affirmation you need to take today. That's the statement you need to make. Lord Jesus, I believe. Lord, I believe in you. I believe that you can turn my spiritual night into spiritual day. Praise God for his power to bring darkness into life. Not only to heal physically, but more importantly than that, praise God that he can heal us spiritually. Just like Jesus was the only one who could heal this man physically, Jesus is the only one who can heal you today spiritually. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one is going to get to heaven except through Jesus Christ. But I think there's another reason this passage is included in our Bibles. I think this passage is included in our Bibles to help us with a sense of our own suffering. Whatever that suffering might be. And so here are three things you can take away from John chapter 9 verses 1 through 12 this morning. Number one, expect suffering in your life. Just expect suffering in your life. Don't be surprised that you go through hardships and sufferings in life. This world has sold us a lie in telling us that the goal in life is to be pain free and stress free and worry free. Because there ain't nothing free except God's salvation. And we're going to have pain. We're going to have stress. We're going to have worry. But everything that happens to us in this life is intended, we learn from this story, to display God's mighty work through us, even our suffering. That's why Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. He said, in this world you're going to have trouble. You're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, he said. Take heart in this. I've overcome the world. Wow. There's the very real presence of suffering in our lives. But there is also the very real possibility of having God's peace in the midst of our suffering. Do you get that? I mean, you're going to suffer. Make no mistake about it. But if you believe in Jesus and put your faith in Him and find peace with God, then through your suffering you can know the peace of God. Let me say it like this. When everything else is falling around around you, when, you, when your world is crumbling and falling apart, you don't have to. You don't have to. If you've built your life on the rock 
of Jesus Christ, you can have the peace of God when you're inflicted with suffering. So number one, expect suffering in life. Number two, embrace suffering through faith. Suffering is not something that we need to try to run from. And that's what we do. Whenever we find something painful in life or stressful or, or there's a story that's going to leave a scar, we try to escape from it, don't we? We want to get as far away from suffering as we can. So for a lot of people, they escape through alcohol or through drugs. Some people try to escape by pleasure or possessions that, that momentarily allow us to forget the pain that we're in. But you know what? The Bible says, don't try to escape from suffering. Instead, embrace suffering. Now, how do you do that? Well, it's kind of like, it's kind of like you embrace a friend. Give it a man hug, you know? You ladies, give it a lady hug. You, you embrace suffering and pain by hugging it, by embracing it. Because God has sent that to you to minister to you, to challenge you, to make you a better person, to conform you into the very image of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, talking about some of his own sufferings as a minister of the gospel, said this in 2 Corinthians 1.9, Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who has the power to raise the dead. That is an unbelievable verse. He's saying you will never see the life-transforming power of God if you don't go through some kind of suffering and some kind of pain in your life when the only one available to you to lift you up like a dead man is God Himself. So you're going you're gonna to face suffering. Just face it bravely, expect it, and embrace it. Don't escape from it, embrace it. Know that, you know what? There is tomorrow. And I'll step out here and say this, even if you don't make it through the suffering, even if it kills you, guess what? If you're a believer, there's heaven, which is far better. So you embrace that suffering, understanding, as James said, as we go through that suffering, it is making us more Christ-like. It's teaching us perseverance. You know, I may talk about this more Wednesday night on my sermon that I'm working on for Wednesday night, but it just popped into my brain. You know, we love our kids, and, and so for our kids, we try to protect them, and we give them the best life that we give them. But then all of a sudden, one day, they, they grew up, and they move out of our house, and they go out and face real life, and they find out, you know what, it's, it's not, uh, it's not a, a bunch of roses and a cakewalk. Life is tough. And for a lot of our children, that's, really, we are doing them a grave in service when we protect them from all of life's difficulty because we can't always protect them. And maybe the best thing we can do for them when they're young is let them realize life is tough. Well, you don't like that, do you? Kids don't like that and grandparents don't like that. So. But, but that's life. You will suffer. Embrace it. Because when you endure the suffering, it's going to make you more like Jesus. And then number three, the way you do that is through grace. You endure suffering by grace. There was a time when the Apostle Paul endured great suffering through what he called a thorn in the flesh. 
We don't know exactly what it was. Some people believe it, it had to do something with Paul's vision, which really makes it applicable today as we look at John chapter 9, doesn't it? But at least three times in Scripture, Paul prayed that, that God would relieve him from this thorn in the flesh, that God would take it away. But all three times God said no. In fact, here's what God said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul went on to testify, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest upon me. Sometimes God puts His powerful work on display by eliminating our suffering, just by taking it away or taking us out of it. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm glad when He does that. <laughs> yeah, because I don't like to suffer. I don't like pain. I don't like controversy. I like things to be downhill with the wind at my back. Don't you? And sometimes God chooses to do that for us. And he puts his powerful work on display by eliminating the suffering. But you know what? At other times, God puts his powerful work on display by giving us the grace that we need to endure the suffering. And that's pretty amazing as well. Because here's the bottom line. Look at me, everybody. I'm almost finished, so look up. Here it is. Bottom line is this. Either way, either way, whether he eliminates the suffering or whether he gives us grace to endure the suffering, either way, we win with Jesus. Because Jesus is the key to all of this. Jesus is the key. Blind man was right. <laughs> I don't know. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Here's what I know. I was blind. Now I can see. I was blind and now I can see. And I'm here to tell you, I do know about Jesus. Yes, I was blind spiritually, but today I can see. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but I have been raised to newness of life. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. My name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and no matter what suffering or pain I go through in this life, I have eternity with Him because He is my Savior. And He can be your Savior today as well. Lord, I believe. Do you? Heavenly Father, I pray that my friends would believe in you today. For those who are lost in their sins, may they come to Jesus, the Savior of our souls today. Lord, for that person who needs to come and, and admit that they're a sinner, believe that you're the only one who can save them, and then confess you as Lord and Savior of their life, may they come today for salvation. Lord, for the rest of us who are facing pain and suffering and dealing with real-life problems, may we gather up all of our problems and bring them to you today and lay them at the feet of Jesus. Lord, help us to understand you've got the power to either eliminate that suffering or you have the power to give us the grace to endure our suffering. And however you choose to do it, Lord, we're okay with that because we're trusting you today. Make it easy for my friends to come and pray this morning and give them the, the power and the grace and the peace that they're longing for. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand? Praise team is going to sing. Come and pray. Altars are open. 
I invite you right now to come to Jesus. Come to Him. He's here waiting for you. Would you come?